You're listening to the cycling podcast Femina, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Hello and welcome to the Cycling Podcast Feminine. My name is Rose Manley and we have a bumper women's tour episode for you. We're going to be unpacking everything that happened there. Uh, We've got loads of rider interviews, uh, but first I should introduce the team that's going to do exactly that with me. And they are both uh, previous women's tour companions of mine, Orla Shenoui. Hello, hello. And Lizzie Banks. Hello, glad to be here after my my invite on the podcast uh, a couple of couple of months ago. <laughs> oh, oh, you listened. Ooh, Good. Well, uh, after okay, getting and that concludes the cycling podcast feminine for this month. <laughs> no, it's okay. We invited her. We didn't disinvite her, so it's good. My, my official invite actually came by uh, um, being added to a WhatsApp group. But anyway, I'm officially here, so <laughs> so let's crack on with the show. <laughs> we do things by the book, Lizzie. We do. We do. Well, I saw you actually this Saturday, didn't I, uh, Lizzie? At the last stage of the women's tour, you weren't you weren't riding it, but I think you would have been actually you would have had a very good chance of doing very well there. Oh, I would have absolutely loved this this uh, year's edition of this race. And we were in Oxford and the crowds there were absolutely phenomenal. It's amazing to yeah. see the way this race, race has grown year on year. And in previous years, some days, you know, the weekdays, you would have phenomenal crowds. Um, you know, they the organisers are so good at engaging the, the school kids to come out and support. But to see the general public supporting in Oxford and around the Cotswolds, the photos of the crowds were wild. And being there in Oxford, the atmosphere was absolutely electric. So women's cycling is only going one way. And having the live coverage, having the big screen at the finish just created such an incredible atmosphere. So I loved it was a shame to not be racing, but I, I loved to be there supporting as well. I know all of that. You were you were disappointed not to be there, weren't you? Because you were hoping to yeah, hoping to come over for it. I was hoping to come over, and it's such a packed season this year. And um, the fantastic arrival of the Tour de France fam adds another week of racing into the calendar. And um, unfortunately, it's just one of those things. I've got two kids um, and a family that I have to check in with every now and again. And I was seriously considering not checking in with them <laughs> and just headed <laughs> off to the race anyway. And then I thought, mm, I maybe want a family to come back to at the end of this season. So because the Tour de France coming up in July means I'll be away from home for four and a half weeks on the trot, obviously doing the Tour de France fam at the back of that. With two young kids, it's just a little bit difficult. So I had to take the difficult decision of not going to the women's tour. Um, and I'm really delighted to hear, Lizzie, how much you loved the crowds and obviously we'd much rather watch you racing and get to see what you would have been able to do in the race but I find it really heartwarming to hear of your enthusiasm from it for it from the other side because that's the side that we're always looking at it from and it's quite nice to I guess for you to have that perspective which you maybe don't have the time to appreciate fully whenever you're suffering on a bike. Yeah, it's really interesting to have that perspective, especially being uh, on the other side for the last two editions of the Women's Tour now. Um, And yeah, I mean, it's just growing and growing. And I'm so grateful to the organisers and the sponsors for, for getting that live coverage this year because it's such a critical factor in growing the race to the public outside this 
cycling bubble, this, you know, cycling fan bubble. We need the general public to get involved and we need to get them as new fans into the sport um, and, and activate those and kind of retain those fans by making it really exciting. And it, it really felt on the ground like that was what was being done. Um, so I think, yeah, big kudos to the organisers um, and to the to the to the riders for making it a good race as well. Yeah, the crowds were fantastic. And as you mentioned there, that there was live coverage this year for the very first time. But for those who might have missed it or just want a recap, Orla, why don't you give us a news roundup and you tell us exactly what happened? Why don't I, Rose? I'll do exactly that. <laughs> right, buckle in because we are off for six stages of the women's chair. Stage one then from Colchester to Bury St Edmunds was won by Clara Capone of FDJ Nouvelle Aquitaine Futuroscope. She sprinted to her first UCI win on a wet narrow run-in which saw a crash in the final few hundred metres taking down the hugely informed Lorena Vibis of Team DSM and former race champion Corin Lebecki of Team Jumbo Visma. I do want to give a little mention though on stage one to Danielle Shrewsbury of Cam's Basso Bikes who went on a long solo breakaway. She had a 1 minute 10 second advantage with 35 kilometres to go. When the racing was paused for close to an hour, which obviously isn't great for the first ever live coverage of the race, but there was a road accident on the course in the front of the peloton. So that's hugely disruptive to the rhythm of the race. They had to allow the um, emergency vehicles through. Um, Not sure what else could have been done about it, quite frankly. Um, Not sure there's a way around that. It's just one of those race incidents, I guess, unless, Lizzie, you think otherwise. It it actually happens fairly often in races, more often than you would think in Trofeo Alfredo Binder this year. uh, The accident actually completely blocked the course so much that they had to reroute the whole course, go back where they came from. So it is something that happens. And this is why you have your rain bags, because if something like that happens, you have to have everything in there. And we saw the riders um, packed into the back of the car, Letizia Borghese from EF Tipco SVB was sat in the boot. Um, but but it, it does happen. It does happen. And uh, there's nothing you can do. And, and you know, the most important thing is is making sure that the person who's had the accident is is OK. So we, we're used to it and, and we know that kind of it's just, just one of those racing incidents, really. Well, the race did resume and Shrewsbury was named most combative rider when she was reeled in 15 kilometres from the line. Stage two then, and Lorena Vibis showed not only that she'd recovered from the crash of the day before, but also that she was still carrying the form that had seen her come into the race off the back of a hat-trick of wins at the Ride London Classic and took the win in Harlow from a bunch sprint. Uh, Clara Capone kept the leader's jersey thanks to bonus seconds picked up in the intermediate sprints into stage three then back-to-back stage wins for Lorena Vibis in Gloucester with a special mention going to her teammate Pfeiffer Georgie the local girl and British national champion who used her knowledge of the roads to beautiful effect and executed a wonderful lead out for Vibis Alex Manley of Team Bike Exchange Jago finished in second and Corin Lebecki of Team Jumbo Visma took third from a reduced group in the rain and Vibis took the overall lead and headed into stage four with a 13 second advantage. Then we had a new winner and a new race leader on stage four with Grace Brown of FDJ Nouvelle Aquitaine Futuroscope winning from a breakaway and keeping the winning ways going in that French team. Now, Cassiane Viadoma finished in second and Elisa Longoborghini took her first podium of the race with only two stages left. I don't know what you would thought of this finish, but I loved it. I've watched it back several times now and I just love how Grace Brown timed it. She just coolly allowed 
Alisa Longoborghini to come past her, patiently waited, then surged ahead herself in the final 100 metres, and then Nivia Doma edged ahead of Longoborghini for that second place. I just thought it was really, really well executed. And that meant that Grace Brown took the race lead, meaning that FDJ had won it, worn it rather, for three quarters of the race at this stage. Stage five then gave us the queen stage of the women's tour and our first mountaintop finish on a climb we and the race know well already, Black Mountain. And it was the reigning Italian champion, Elisa Longoborghini, crowned queen on the day ahead of Cassia Nevia Doma. Uh, race leader Grace Brown kept the leader's jersey by picking up the four second time bonus for third but she only just kept it because she was equal on time with Longoborghini going into the final stage and the 2017 champion Nevia Doma was just two seconds back. So that meant that stage six was poised for a thriller going from Chipping Norton, famous for its parliamentary residence and a few teams were hoping for a coup by the time they reached Oxford city centre. Grace Brown started the day in the leader's hot seat, looked to have the upper hand. She took the three bonus seconds in the first intermediate sprint but Elisa Longoborghini sprinted to a hugely impressive third place on the line, took the four bonus seconds along the way and won the overall race by just one second over Grace Brown with Nevia Doma finishing in third in the end, five seconds back. The stage itself was a bit of a who's who of this year's women's tour with Lorena Vibas of Team DSM taking the win and Clara Capone of FDJ Nouvelle Aquitaine Futuroscope in third. Now, there was another very special prize, which we'll talk about in more detail in a moment. But I do want to mention it in our news roundup because we had the Richard Moore Memorial Award, which was for the writer who engaged best with the media. And that went to Clara Capone. Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat or drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimise your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights and personalised analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. Super Sapiens is the cycling podcast title sponsors and supports all of our shows, including, of course, the cycling podcast Feminan and Super Sapiens have recently announced a couple of partnerships with World Tour teams, extending their partnership with Jumbo Visma, which has been running since 2020, and also signing up with SD Works. Now, Anna van der Bregen, who was an Olympic gold medalist and two time world road race champion, in her racing days, of course, was an early adopter of Super Sapiens technology. And now that she is a sports director at SD Works, she's been instrumental in signing the team up with Super Sapiens to monitor the riders' glucose levels in real time when training and preparing and to give the riders that insight into how their bodies respond to not just food and fueling, but also stress of racing and travelling. Uh, the excitement and adrenaline rush of competition or even altitude because all of those things can have an impact on energy levels and blood glucose levels. So Team SD Works, one of the latest to sign up with Super Sapiens. If you'd like to find out more, go to supersapiens.com. 
Well, it was a thrilling finish, wasn't it, to the women's tour? I don't think many of us, even Grace Brown, who was in the leader's jersey at the start of the day, was necessarily uh, expecting to such a change of fortunes uh, right right on the line at the end there. But what, what did you both make of the race as a whole? Because, you know, how the GC was decided through the stages. Lizzie, what did you think? I mean, Lizzie's going to just say she said it all before and she was right and blah, blah, and blah. She and she was. There's no point in doing the races because Lizzie will just tell you what happens. Uh. Well, it, it is interesting because I feel like the Cycling Podcast Feminine did an excellent preview of this race. <laughs> and we looked in detail of what we thought was going to happen on the stages with somebody who's ridden the roads of the three most difficult stages. So I've you, ridden you so mean? many of the roads on both three, four and five. And so do you mean the podcast did from... a good job, Lizzie, or you did a good job? <laughs> I mean, the podcast did a great job of getting Lizzie on board. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, delegating. But what what I thought was interesting is that, you know, okay, so it all depends on how the riders are going to race it, right? And my thoughts on this are actually that the the ra- the riders raced it in a bit of a boring fashion. And I'm not sure if that was because they were looking towards this mountaintop finish, which didn't, you know, didn't provide them what they thought it would. I think it provided me what I thought it would, which was semi-selection. But, you know, I think you had five riders on the line on the same time. And they said it was down to the headwind on Black Mountain, not being able to split up the bunch. But to be honest, it's just simply not steep enough. Um, And also we saw on stage three into into Gloucester that there was a breakaway of of all of the strongest riders in the race that had, had forged clear on one of the QOMs. But the lack of cooperation meant that it didn't stay away and they allowed Lorena Vibas to come back and take a second stage win. Now, had they have started that attacking earlier and committed to it, because there were so many hilly, really tough roads in it earlier in the stage, that what they needed to do if you wanted to have a more decisive um, kind of clear gaps in the GC is start attacking earlier and hold this, have teams that are prepared to you know, put their eggs in one basket, put their neck on the line and hold that to keep those sprinters away. Because if you start late when there's 20, I think 30k to go in that that stage three stage from the last hill until the line, it gives the riders the opportunity, the sprinters the opportunity to come back. In stage four, where Grace Brown won into Welshpool, Lorena Vibas was so close to coming back. Pfeiffer Georgie absolutely killed herself along with the other teammates from DSN, but she really deserves a special mention there because she was absolutely going for it. And it was really within touching distance. There were times where they could nearly see that break of riders and it was so close to coming back. So it's really about kind of going early and commitment. And we always know that the women's tour is a seconds game, but why didn't we see the GC riders fighting for these seconds earlier on? Okay, it's easy to say that with hindsight, but if you really look into the route beforehand, you can see that this is going to be a seconds game and you're going to need to go for those 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 seconds and those points everywhere you can from the very beginning of the race. Lizzie, do you have many friends in the peloton? That's my big question. <laughs> Less. Well, thankfully for me, I'm not riding in the peloton at the moment. <laughs> but, um, I think you, you're kind of like contradicting yourself a little bit because you know you say that that normally a stage where it, the, there's a breakaway goes and it's and it's very you know very close uh to it being caught or not being caught and there's that question mark and then it gets caught at right at the end that normally goes down marked down as an exciting uh day's racing 
wouldn't yeah, you say? I see what and, you're and saying, then, but, but you're, you're using that as an as an argument that it, that it's you know not. It was it wasn't only an stage. Day. It was only stage four where that really happened. Mm, mm, mm. To be honest, yeah. What I'm saying is, on stage three, is they waited and they waited. They forged clear, but because they were too late, it all came back, and they literally handed Lorena Vibas the victory. Mm, mm, mm. And had there not have been that horrendous crash on stage one, where Vibas and her teammates Corinne Lebecki, uh, Barbara Gariski, all went crashing straight into a barrier on, well, in my opinion, a court. A, a corner that they took far too fast in the rain, but was a tricky corner anyway. But they knew it was tricky, so shouldn't have been going that fast. Easy we'll take them off the Christmas riding. card list as, <laughs> as well. well. <laughs> <laughs> you know that that victory would have been handed to Lorena Vibas as well. Otherwise, yeah. and if you want to prevent the best sprinter in the world by a mile at the moment, let's look at her record in London. Here, you know, we've seen all spring she is. The bar, her bar is so much higher than the others. If you want to actually try and win, you've got to do something different. And really, stage one, we waited. Stage two, we waited. Okay, stage six was exciting because we had the GC battle. Stage three, they waited. She came back. If you want to make something happen, you've got to, you've got to try something different. I think as a neutral, I find it, and I say as a neutral outsider because I'm not inside. Um, the peloton, obviously. I find it really exciting to see Lorena Vibas on the form that she's on. And I love seeing a race whereby she can dominate essentially as well as, you know, not win the overall. I, I love the fact that you don't want to see anybody crashing out, but the fact that we did have Caponi as a different winner on stage one. We had different winners throughout the course of the of the racing. And it wasn't just a GC battle. I like that because I think if it, if the race is just down to the GC, it loses an important narrative for me. I like it when there are races within the race that are easily identifiable and Lorena Vibas makes it an easily identifiable race, you know? Um, but what I'm curious about really is off the back of what you just said, Lizzie, as to how you can prevent what you were saying, whereby a race, a stage race, is essentially, to an extent, neutralised, more or less, ahead of what is perceived to be a big climb or a big day or a decisive queen of the mountains, whatever it might be. Because it happens so often in men's and women's racing, whereby... You know, we all like to give the big hype to whatever the queen stage is um, or like a pair of hilly stages or whatever. We assume, I guess, that we're doing that for us and for the fans and for all of us rubbing our hands with glee on the outside. We don't really expect the riders of the teams to be paying any attention to any of that and they're doing their own recons. Um, how do you prevent teams and riders and contenders from keeping their powder dry ahead of something that they think is going to be really, yeah. really important. H- having that fear almost, it's like, well, I've got to save something in yeah. the tank because I know these are going to be really hard. It's it's really difficult. I think it's down to um, the design of the parkour, mm-hmm. of the overall race parkour. And I think that's incredibly difficult, especially with a race like the Women's Tour, where they are going to certain regions because the councils are paying them. And at the end of the day, you have to go where the councils are going to pay you. And people might slake slate the kind of flatter areas around Essex say but if those if those councils are stumping up the cash and supporting this race we have to give back to them and it's sometimes tricky to create a really exciting race with those roads Mm -hmm. and with the lack of kind of hills and twists and turns well there there were twists and turns and you know we saw plenty of riders in hedges um, which did actually create its own excitement because 
Uh, Veronica Ewers lost 32 seconds, as did Joss Loudon on the second stage. Um, but it is tricky. And I think I think that given what the organisers had, they, ha- they did a very good job. Um, they tried to put a kind of ruler type, type of stage in a stage three. Then they went up and had this very challenging stage uh, up in Welshpool before coming down to Black Mountain, where the riders pretty much had no choice but to to break up the peloton because it was a tough stage. I think I think we should actually say that it is the it is the most exciting GC that we've had at the Women's Tour for well actually since I can remember was, to be honest because yeah. I think uh, last year obviously they tried having the time trial that Demi Vollering won by such a massive margin that it really put to bed any uh, GC. Um, any other GC contenders, there's just no way that they were going to to overpower um, Demi Vollering with a a massive margin like that. But I think it, I think it, I mean, it did have a, a lot more variety than actually uh, the women's tour has had in in past editions. And I think that that was really cemented on that that final stage um, with Elisa Longo Borghini taking the win uh, right at the last. I mean, I agree with you, which I know I understand contradicts what I'm saying, but I guess what I'm saying is that some of the earlier stages, so the first half of the race, I felt like the peloton raced it just waiting for the end. Mm-hmm. They were just waiting for the end. And I agree with you, it was a sensational finish. And back in 2019, the last two stages were in Wales and having the, these penultimate two stages in Wales with a sprinty stage that allows you to aim for those bonus seconds, that that gives you that exciting finish that that we had this year, which was a stroke of genius with the race design. But I felt that the first three stages, if you watched them flag to finish, you know, were that possible, they wouldn't have maybe provided that excitement that it could have done and maybe could have been a bit boring, which I I feel was kind of down to the racers, not necessarily the organisers. So I have one more little question about that, actually, because this is something I've always wondered about and it actually reminds me of a conversation I had with Lionel yesterday we were um, reminiscing on a women's tour gone gone past um, and Richard had messaged Lionel basically saying dear lord help me how will I find anything interesting to say about this stage and and Lionel didn't have to tell me <laughs> what the stage was I knew immediately that it was a stage in 2019 at the Kent Cyclo, Cyclo Park is that what it was called what was it let me get that right. Yes. Oh, the Gravesend uh, yeah. Cyclopark. <laughs> the Gravesend Cyclopark. And that was 2019, wasn't it? I think it was 2019. Well, yes, but, you know, if it's if it's any consolation, it was as awful to well, ride as so, it was so, to watch. But this, but this is what I was wondering, because I remember <laughs> standing in the middle of that course at the time and having this conversation whereby we were saying, oh, my life, this could have been really exciting and really fun and what a shame it is for the sport and for the fans and everything that it was just riders doing laps um and i wondered at that time whether there's ever any sense of responsibility or need amongst the riders to try to make a race come to life for the greater good of the sport and i remember annamiek van vluten saying this to me once actually her she was saying that her winning was really important but providing entertainment was at least as important but i wonder how much that's ever a factor when you've got a race to win i think it's tricky and I think that actually the professionalization of women's cycling and the increase in salaries has almost led to people being more comfortable with the role that they have. 
And so maybe not taking as many risks. But I also think that there's a huge part of this, which is down to the directors, because so much of this comes from the directors. And so there aren't that many directors that are really willing to take a lot of risks. And if it's if the director doesn't, then you have to have a rider that's willing to take a lot of risks. And I know that if I were racing, I'd definitely be one of those riders. And there are definitely, you know, we see those riders all the time. Elise Shabby, for instance, she's always on the attack. She's always taking these risks and she almost single-handedly changed the style of Canyon Shram. Um, And so there are just so many different things. Um, But sometimes it's very tricky in a race if you want to light it up. If you light it up and you go in a breakaway and then, or you force a breakaway, other people come with you. If they don't want to work, there's nothing you can do to make that race exciting. So it's a very, very tricky balance. Well, we saw from the final stage of the women's tour that Trek absolutely knew what they had to do on that stage. Going into it uh, with Elisa Longo-Borghini being on the same time as Grace Brown, but Grace Brown being in the yellow jersey, Trek definitely knew the thing to do was to go for the intermediate sprints if they could and if not then uh, make sure that they had arranged themselves into a lead out uh, for the finish so why not uh, let's listen to Elisa Longo-Borghini who was the overall winner uh, of the women's tour and I should caveat this interview by saying that because Elisa was running late for her plane I had to literally run (laughs) alongside her so if you can hear the little feet tapping sometimes a little bit of heckling from some bystanders uh, then that is what it is and then straight off the back of that we're also going to hear from Ina Yoko Tutenberg who spoke to uh, you Lizzie um, at the finish and she was yeah uh, she's the DS for Trek and she was uh, very aware of what they had to do to win the race so let's hear from them now. Well, Elisa Longo-Borghini, the sprinting extraordinaire, where did that come from? I don't know, maybe because uh, all my teammates really, really believed in me and uh, I really had to give this back to them because they were just amazing today and they were just working so hard and uh, sometimes when you're desperate, uh, yeah, the good things come out. Was that always the plan at the beginning of the day or you know, was there a thought about going for the intermediate sprints instead? Um, we had uh, this uh, this goal to go for the intermediate sprint, and um, but then uh, yeah, I was fourth, and uh, my teammates said, okay, we go for the for the final one, and I was like, are you really sure? And they really trusted me, and uh, yeah, so you see, <laughs> yeah, and uh, they really trusted me, and I really wanted to get a result to give back all the work they did. And just talk us through the sprint at the end. Uh, did you, you know, get a lead out or, you know, did you have to find your own wheels? Oh, I had the best lead out, actually, because um, we, had, uh, uh, we had Ellen uh, first together with, uh, with Elinora and Loretta and then um, Audrey and the sweeper was, uh, was Chloe. Audrey left me at 500 and then I just had to take corners and go fast. And was it a discussion on the road that you had to have before? Obviously, or, or was it when you set out at the beginning of the day, was it if we don't get the intermediate sprints, we go at the end? Or was it a discussion on the road? Yeah, I mean, um, it, was, uh, it was at the beginning of the, of the day that maybe we could, uh, we could go for the sprint in uh, the final sprint. But then in the end, we, we decided on the road and um, yeah, we know the formation, we train for this, we are used to do the, the, the lead out because we have balsamo and uh, 
yeah, in the end, uh, today they, they actually sprinted for the other Lisa. <laughs> and uh, how does it feel to win GC? Oh, you haven't done that in a long time. Yeah, well, not a long time, true. but not very much. The, uh, the, last, uh, the last GC victory was uh, in, back in 19, and uh, it feels really good, and especially at the women's tour, it's nice. It's a world tour race. It's, uh, it's great to be back on, on the, top, uh, the top list of the, the GC. And how does it compare to winning the stage yesterday? Yeah, uh, it's a different feeling for sure because uh, you get uh, you get the thrill of uh, of the victory in a stage, and uh, but then uh, now we were really running off like on seconds, and uh, you know it's uh, it's like okay, did I win or did I did I not win? And in the end, yeah, I won. Great, congratulations, and thank you for the workout, Elisa. As well. <laughs> you know that was a thriller, right to the wire. Uh, was that a tactical masterstroke there? No, I mean, that was wishful thinking. I mean, as I say, we did know at the intermediate sprint they're less contested and Grace is uh, really fast. So it wasn't really a surprise that she beat uh, Elisa and Kasia on the line there. But then we said, yeah, I mean, we can only try at the finish. And we did know it was a really technical finish. And with a good lead out, maybe we put a, a gap into the peloton and all that. And I mean, it, it worked out. The girls brought Elisa. We knew that one kilometer to go uh, corner was super tricky. And then it would be super stretched out and it would be hard for people to come from behind uh, to catch up. So maybe we caught some sprinters off guard and they could just couldn't make it up. It was too fast. And then it was amazing that Elisa hold on to third. Yeah, I mean, it's the dream finish because it looks like at that first intermediate sprint that Grace Brown had it tied up. And on paper, you'd say that if there's anyone who's going to take those bonus seconds on the line, she would. But at the end, it was the strength of your team that, that won it for Elisa. I did at the end. I did know that Elisa is probably a little bit technical, more savvy than Grace, you know. But I mean, we know how strong Grace is. So as I say, that's like, that's kind of all in your mind. But that, that it works out like this is pretty incredible and amazing. Yeah. Well, brilliant. Congratulations on a brilliant week. Thank you. Uh, so that was the winner, Elisa Longo Borghini and uh, her DS, Ina Yoko Tutenberg. Um, but you know, what did we make of Grace Brown? Because she was sitting pretty in the yellow jersey at the start of the stage. Um, and then I imagine she was a bit shell-shocked, Lizzie, when, when you saw her right at the finish line. Yeah, she was. I have to say I feel a little guilty because uh, she was just having a moment with her teammates literally seconds after the finish. And I wasn't even sure if she knew that Elisa Longoborghini had taken that third spot because I was on the line and... It was really close between Elisa Longo-Borghini and um, Numanova from Live Racing Extra. And I, I, I then, as I was running towards Grace Brown, I overheard a police moto confirming the provisional one, two, three, stopped to listen and almost couldn't believe it and got to the FDJ bus and Grace was there seeming quite shell-shocked with the other riders really just quite in shock because, of course, unless you're right at the front of the peloton and able to see her, you wouldn't realise and you would just assume that you'd run won the GC. Um, and I have to say she was incredibly gracious when I immediately stuck a microphone in her in her face. So thank you to Grace. Um, and yeah, she she was really, I think, putting on a brave face because it was a, a pretty, pretty tough loss so immediately in the aftermath of, of just finding out that she'd lost the race. Or come second. Well, well, what do we think went went wrong for FTJ uh, there that you know Trek monopolised on? Did they just not expect Trek to do what Trek had done really? Because by the signs of it, 
um, Alisa Longoborghini said that after that intermediate sprint, she was fairly resigned to a podium position until the team rallied around her and said, no, we believe in you. We're going to work for the sprint. And Teutenberg had already reconned the finale and they knew there were corners which were advantageous to Longoborghini's handling. And so I would suspect, given the fact that Grace Brown took those bonus seconds that she probably just assumed it was in the bag in the way that Lisa Longo-Borghini assumed it was out of the bag until her team rallied around her. And Cassia Nivia-Doma as well and Canyon Shram, they could have done a trek, but they didn't. Um, so in a way, it feels like it was the most obvious stroke of genius for a trek to just lead Elisa Longoborghini out for that sprint as they did in the end and it's it's a bit baffling really that the others didn't and I wonder whether next time they would um, be so foolish as to be caught short again. Absolutely and I think that you know Trek actually stuffed up that first intermediate sprint because so they were doing a phenomenal lead out for Elisa Longoborghini and actually Audrey Cordon Rigaud accidentally took the two seconds instead of Elisa Longoborghini who ended up fourth and with no seconds so instead of then catapulting Grace only one second ahead, she was suddenly, which, you know, perhaps they could have got back on the second intermediate sprint had they kept the break in, in check. Um, suddenly she was out of it. And I know that I walked into the press room and um, was asked by someone, what do you think? And I said, well, Grace has got it all tied up. You know, she's the only one of these three that's got a chance in the final sprint on the line. But I mean, I was wrong. <laughs> so, and I think everybody, everybody was wrong. And, you know, as as watchers of the race, as viewers of the race, that's exactly what we want. We want this thrill on the line, absolute adrenaline pumping. Oh my God, we can't believe what's happened. Um, and Grace definitely couldn't believe it when I saw her just after the finish. It's funny, isn't it? Because uh, on that final stage, Clara Capone, who is an FTJ rider, is Grace Brown's uh, teammate, actually came Second on that, when when I spoke to her, she said, oh, I was just hoping that someone would come between me and Elisa Longo-Borghini. And it's kind of one of those things where you think, mm, you know, maybe FTJ should have made sure they were guarding to make sure, uh, not that Clara Capone had a chance of winning, especially when Lorena Rebus has been, been so dominant, but perhaps they should have been focusing more on making sure that they kept that uh, yellow jersey. But let's uh, let's hear from Grace Brown herself. And what we're going to hear now is actually, I spoke to her uh, at the start of the stage uh, and Lizzie caught up with her right on the finish line at the end of the stage. And well, I, I was going to say it's going to be like two halves, but actually she was... She was very cautious when she spoke to me and, uh, and you know, was suggesting that she didn't think that she had it all tied up. Perhaps maybe everyone else thought that more than she did. And then when she speaks to you, Lizzie, she's, um, you know, laughing hysterically. So it, it sounds almost like the, <laughs> the opposite emotions that you're going to expect. But, yeah, let's hear from uh, those Grace uh, from the morning and from the afternoon now. So Grace, how's it been this week? A bit of a, a different challenge in trying to defend a yellow jersey? Uh, yeah, it's a new experience for me, um, defending a general classification lead. Um, but it's been really fun and uh, yeah, super nice to be supported by my team um, in this race. So it's been fun. Yeah, whatever happens today, it's been a good race. And what's the biggest challenge that, that you've come across? In, in trying to do that? I think just uh, the consistency overall, especially in sprint stages, like you still need to make sure that you're up in the sprint, don't lose any time. Um, yeah, of course it's hard on, on the 
the tough hilly stages to contend, but those that terrain's a little bit more natural for me than contesting a sprint, so I guess that's the, the hard bit, yeah. And how has it been with the FTJ this year? Has it changed you as a rider, do you think? Um, I don't think it's changed me as a rider. I still have... Um, I still you know race the same way really but um the team have a lot of confidence in that style of racing and they uh yeah put a lot of faith in what i can do and um i feel yeah super supported by them uh, and it's a really nice environment to be a part of and do you think fdj have kind of uh, um bested the expectations that are, are put on them yeah definitely um when i signed for the team uh, I think people were a bit surprised they thought maybe I was um, downgrading but yeah FDJ have proved this year that we're one of the top contending wins uh, teams so yeah I think there's no questions now <laughs> exactly thank you very much Grace good luck today so Grace literally just crossed the finish line how are you feeling um, oh, a bit in shock <laughs> um, yeah I didn't expect uh, Lisa to place in the sprint finish today, so um, yeah, she took quite a few bonus seconds there, which means she took the GC. Um, By a second. So, yeah, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, we've had an amazing race here this week and we're really happy and proud of how we worked. Um, yeah, it's a pity that we lost it, but it was going to be a bonus anyway, so... It's been a phenomenal week for you, starting with yellow, nearly ending with yellow, and tactically you played it so well today. Um, what was your plan coming in today? And obviously it was just that last bit where you didn't quite get it. Um, so how did you how did you want it to go? And did you think it was all playing out well until until right after the finish? Yeah, I was thinking that uh, it had been a perfect stage, really. Like I got the first intermediate sprint, which put me three seconds ahead of Longo Borghini, and then. Yeah, I thought that if uh, we just finished in the sprint without a gap, then I would have GC. But yeah, she did a phenomenal sprint to third. So yeah, um, chapeau to Elisa. I think she deserves the win after that. Shoot, uh, shoot at the du peloton. Cycling podcast, team car, at the back of the pack, please. That's said PK, the voice of Radio Tour, to remind me to tell you that this episode of the Cycling Podcast Feminin is sponsored by the Hammerhead Carew 2 cycling computer, which I have really enjoyed using over the last number of months. I went on the first part of my Tour de Cosse, riding around Scotland on unfamiliar roads, and the mapping never let us down, not for a moment. And since the latest updates, there have been some improvements to the software, yet more improvements really. The climber function now works whether or not you're following a preloaded route. So even if you're just freestyling and riding wherever you fancy, you'll still get the data that tells you how far there is to the top of the climb and what the gradient is in real time. That's a feature that I really enjoy. And you can also busk it on the way. You can pick a point and the hammerhead will steer you to that point. You can change your mind, change direction, and uh, just by touching the screen, dropping a pin, the hammerhead will navigate the most appropriate route to your destination. For a limited time, all of our listeners can get a free heart rate monitor with every purchase of a Hammerhead Carew 2. Go to hammerhead.io right now and use the promo code CYCLE at checkout to get yours today. This is a limited time offer and it's only available to Cycling Podcast listeners, so you must use the promo code CYCLE. 
To get the heart rate monitor free with the purchase of the Karoo 2, add both of the items to your cart and then use the promo code CYCLE at checkout. That's at hammerhead.io. Well, I think we can safely say it was a magnificent tactical display from Elisa Longo-Borghini, but then it does beg the question, what were the other teams up to? We've spoken a bit about FDJ and Grace Brown and, you know, where they might have made a misstep. But Kasia Nevia Doma, she was only two seconds uh, back going into the last stage. So what could she and Kenyon Sram have, d- have done? Well, maybe looked forward. Maybe looking back, they could have looked forward and to try and get those bonus seconds before. And I was going to say, while well, they didn't really have the lead out that... Um, Trek Segafredo did but actually thinking about it they've got they well they had Alice Barnes Tiff Cromwell Michaela Harvey Elise Shabby Shari Bossoit so actually that's a pretty good lineup right there of strength and technical skill so you know and and Kashinibi Doma herself in a bunch sprint she is excellent at positioning so I don't know. I mean, in hindsight, maybe they'll kick themselves for not having done more, but I think they'll probably be happy with that podium place on GC as well. Yeah, it is odd because I spoke to... Well, I was at the watching the kind of press conference after the finish with Kasia Nevia Doma because obviously she did finish on the podium on GC. Um, and it she seemed... She was, like, ecstatic at the fact that Elisa Longo-Borghini had sprinted. She thought that that was absolutely fantastic and absolutely amazing. Uh, but not really with a sense that maybe maybe she could have done, done something similar or tried something similar, and she did. And she did say that you know they went for the intermediate sprints, and then uh, you know that worked out. But then the breakaway went away, and then they didn't get any more uh, seconds back. And then I said, uh, you know, did you think about going for the sprint, the bonus seconds on the line uh, right at the end? And uh, she said, oh well, you know, we thought about it, but we couldn't kind of find each other at the end. Um, so, you know, nothing happened. It's kind of like an odd complacency, I thought. It's almost um, mirrored in that sense of, well, this is it, that that Grace Brown seemed to have when she got that three-second bonus in the intermediate sprint. Well, this is it. So that's that's the GC. But you did speak to Michaela Harvey, who is uh, Kasia Nivedoma's teammate uh, at Canyon SRAM at the finish. And so she might give us a little insight onto you know what Canyon Strand were thinking so let's listen to her how was it stressful very stressful but only nice part was when I was in the breakaway I'm like oh finally I can just relax and ride <laughs> otherwise the rest of the time I'm just in the peloton like a little stressed but yeah. oh we're about to get run over oh. by a motorbike but and what is it that causes it to be so stressful is it the nature of the roads yeah, I think just the technical rows and just, like, me in a peloton, I'm still not, like... <laughs> and the peloton <laughs> itself is so stressed in the UK, isn't it? It's, it is. I think, I think everybody knows that the racing is so hard, so everybody is so stressed. But as a team, you took third overall on GC and you've got the mountains jersey, so it's a pretty successful week. Yeah, like, I think we can be pretty happy. Like, we tried really hard today and, like, we only had two seconds to get into the lead, so we put all our eggs into one basket and, yeah, we came over podium, so... And for Kashi to take that that intermediate second in in the first intermediate sprint, I mean, that was a real team effort from you guys to to set her up for that and to just inch her closer. But then Longo Borghini took third place on the finish line. I don't know if you're aware yet. And so she's actually jumped ahead of Grace Brown in the general classification. Yeah, I know. We we put our eggs into one basket again at the end to try and get Kashi out there. But I think we just lacked numbers. I just wasn't there in the finish. I was bit out the back but yeah <laughs> so that was Michaela Harvey of Canyon Sram and where, where do we think that it's going wrong for them because it's not just this race is it but it you know it's more season long or even for the last few seasons what, what do you think Orla do you know what I'm such a fan of Canyon Tram as a team and what they've done for the sport and brought to the sport and so I don't want to sound disrespectful 
I just don't get them. I don't know what's going on with the team. They had three riders in the top 10, which is phenomenal, of course. Cassie and Evie Doma had two seconds in the race, but they've had one win all season. And Cassie and Evie Doma hasn't had a win in almost exactly three years, since stage four of the Women's Tour in 2019. Now, I say, I, I ask a question simply because for a start, I am such a huge fan of Cassie Neviodoma and how she races. When she is in pitbull terrier mode, she is wonderful to watch. I love how she rips a race apart when she wants to. And I don't know whether you start to lose the psychology of winning, the confidence of winning, what's going on with the team. But as I say, they've had one win this season. I was looking through their stats for the last couple of years. They had five wins and an overall last season. The season before that, they had none. They only had national championship wins, which I would say I'm in two minds as to whether they count or not. For me, they don't count. They're individual wins rather than team wins. And then in 2019, they had 10 wins, 16 if you were to count the nationals then. But since 2019, I just find they've really struggled. And I can't work out why, because when you look at the list of riders they have, they are world beating. They should be world beating, but they're not beating others. It's so multifaceted, isn't it? And I think that, okay, you can say they've only had one win this season and you have to look at that with a pinch of salt in that we are at a point now where the teams, there are so many teams that are stronger than ever and the wins really have to be shared around. And unless you have a winning sprinter who is probably the only kind of rider that can win a lot of races, you know, a huge number of races, because otherwise all the races end in such a different style of way and Kashi Nivadoma has she's got one knockout punch right and we kind of all know what it is and so if there's not a mountain top or, or that kind of short well not really a mountain top actually that kind of punchy difficult climb that's really suited to her then maybe she's probably not that likely to win but to take a podium now what they need then there is strength of numbers in the final. And they've kind of, they're kind of beginning to get that. So now they've got Elise Shabby. So they've had Elise for two years. And now they've brought in Paulina Royakas. And what I really hope to see is the combination of those three riders with brilliant support riders like Tiff Cromwell, um, Michaela Harvey, to all bring that cohesion together and then to make it work. But what I think they have to do tactically is to not always put their eggs in the Cashin Nivadoma basket because that's a mistake. That is the mistake. They need to race more like SD, SD Works do as a we have this team of potential winners and we're going to play each card one and then the next and then the next because if they do that, that's how they can win. But I completely agree with you, Orla. I think that um, they so nearly have it but then don't quite have it. And I love what they're doing. Actually, Canyon Tram Generation is by far and away my best, my favourite team to follow in the women's peloton. I absolutely love what they're doing. I think it's brilliant. I think so many more teams um, should do that. They've been incredibly successful with their development team. Um, so I don't know, maybe those riders from the development team will come up through to Canyon Tram Racing and and bring that kind of, yeah, attacking vibe and um, winning mentality. <laughs> You know, they're, they're a team that I root for. You know, I don't look at them and think that they should be winning and so we must 
attack them or criticize them for not winning. I look like, at them and I think, like I, I want you to win. works if they don't win. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But with Canyon Shram, I feel like I'm always cheering. I always want them to do something. Me and that's too. where my frustration comes from. I'm a bit of a fangirl when it comes to them. And I'm not quite sure why, but I think just because they were one of... You know, one of the original the teams, teams that really committed they do to... do so much exactly. for the sport as well. They do so much for the sport. And yeah. I'm a huge fan of both of their teams, like I said. But but I think it's really missing that cohesion. And, you know, if you if you bet on one person for too long and it's not working out, then you have to change things up. And and it must be difficult, difficult for Kasia as well, because mentally she knows that that last win was on Burton Dasset in 2019. And that was a long time ago, a long time ago for a rider who, you know, is the star rider of the team. I mean, it is a shame because I think Paulina Roykas was meant to be at the women's tour, but she did get uh, COVID and then couldn't uh, start because she would have, she'd been performing so well this season. And I think she might have changed the dynamic of the team if she had uh, made it to the the start line. It would have been interesting to see how, how she did or how the team did with her in it. But it's interesting you say about it being, uh, Kenny Tom having three riders in the top 10 on GC Orla because, um, the other team that was notable for having a couple of riders in the top 10 was uh, Team Bike Exchange. And they had Alex Manley and Kristen Faulkner uh, both battling it out. Well, you know, and I say battling it out because uh didn't necessarily look like the most cohesive uh, team when they were on Black Mountain. I think Kristen Faulkner made uh, an attack uh, that I think probably didn't look like it was a team order or set up by the team uh, perhaps but what did you make of uh, their kind of team dynamic Lizzie or what do you know about Alex Manley and uh, Kristen Faulkner? I think what I'd say first is you know so often when you're listening to the commentary someone will attack and they'll say oh their team has told them to attack and the reality is that is so unlikely it is so unlikely because if the team has got TV in the car, and they probably haven't, well, they might have. Okay, so actually the race is live, so they might have it. But they're also in the Welsh mountains. So what's the likelihood that they've got the signal to watch the TV? And if you have got it, it's on a delay anyway. So by the time that the car sees what's happening, it's it's already gone. Like that, that moment has gone ahead. And when the riders attack, it's because you feel that moment in the race or you feel that the pace is slowing and that you need you need to try something or, okay, actually, we know this is going to come together as a group. So if I don't go now, then I'm not going to win this sprint or I'm not going to be able to attack on that one steep section. So let's try knowing that I've got Alex Manley back in the peloton. So first of all, I'd say that it's not always a team order. Um, Actually, yeah, it's it's difficult to know whether the, the two had been working well together or not, um, what they were really going for in terms of GC. I don't actually feel like um, Kristen sacrificing herself for Alex Manley or, or vice versa would have made that much difference on this parkour. But um, you know, Kristen Faulkner was aggressive like she always is on, on stage three um, into Gloucester there, when this group had gone away that wasn't working well she attacked the group to to try and see if maybe she could go solo which was a great move well it was actually a terrific singular performance from Alex Manley and I'm not saying because Manley actually is spelt differently so I've got no favouritism with <laughs> Alex Manley at all and in fact I did actually meet her for the first time a few years ago and I said oh you're a Manly like I'm a Manly and she just gave me the blankest look <laughs> like 
why are you talking to me? But then I did try the line again uh, at Women's Talk and she was really excited to hear that I was also a manly this time. Hang on, hang on. I, I've got to take my hat off to you there. So the line didn't work the first time and you thought, I I know what I'm going to do. But I'm going to that, try it again. Is that because she had no idea what your name was? It, it was a, you know, I had a good you know three-year gap. So I thought, I'm going to try it again. I'm going to try it again. Because surely there's not like loads of manlies. So I just thought like... If I met another Manly, I'd be like, another Manly, that's so interesting. But you don't introduce yourself saying, hi, I'm Rose Manly from the Cycling Podcast, I think the do you? First... Because otherwise no, you just have to assume that the Cycling Podcast Feminine is so widely known in the women's peloton that why would we not <laughs> no, know how could they not Rose know? Manly? No, but I, I think I said, I'm Rose Manly and you're a Manly. <laughs> and she was just like, <laughs> I, can't, so, I mean, I was very so surprised. And you thought, well, Matt, it's such an unusual thing. So even though I pointed it out to her once, if I pointed it out to her again, she'll have forgotten the last time I said it. But it'll yeah. be so remarkable that she'll care this time. Yeah. <laughs> but this time that. I built up to it all. I did the, oh, you I got the interview in the bag first because uh-huh. my problem last time was I said that as the starting gambit <laughs> and then had to do the interview with her. But I was just totally crestfallen the whole time. <laughs> I think what really happened is she thought, oh no, this woman's coming and she's going to make that joke. So I just got to laugh. <laughs> just got to laugh through it. <laughs> if I react this time, she'll stop. <laughs> If I give her the reaction she's looking for, she'll never say it to me again. (laughs) I will. I'm going to try it every time now. That's going to be my thing. I'm going to just bank the the responses. And she'll probably, I'll just put a wig on every time and she'll be like, I keep on meeting these manlies at these bike races. It must be like a cycling dynasty, cycling journalism dynasty, the manlies. They all sound the same, same build, same height. But just different hair. Well, should we hear from your sister then, Rose? <laughs> but, actually, but I mean, the surname isn't even the same. It's actually, I've got an E in it and she doesn't have any in it. So it's not Rose, even the same name. This, this is rapidly descending into the worst anecdote I've heard in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Let's well, go. it's better. It's lucky that I got the interview first then. Because it's actually, <laughs> the interview is all right. The anecdote is not, not so good. But I did speak to Alex Manley, M-A-N-L-Y for some reason, at the end of the women's tour um, and commented to her on what had been a, a great performance uh, that week. But this is what she had to say. Um, Alex, tell us, how's, how's this week been for you? It's been a, a really good week. Um, every day has been different. Um, gone through all the emotions and uh, just really happy with how the team's riding, how we've been working together and how every, uh, every day we've learnt something new as well. And it's been a great showcase for your talents to see you up there in the sprint and then up there on the climb. Yeah, I think I'm still learning myself and uh, the team's still learning me. But uh, it's, yeah, we're, we're really happy with, with how I'm going and um, looking forward to the future. And you've had some great results this year. What do you think has changed um, for you this year? I think uh, I'm probably more relaxed and uh, a bit more focused on the roads. But uh, I'm just taking it as it comes and just uh, racing a lot more off instinct as well. Is there something that you think, that a particular area that you think you can improve on or have you got a longer term goal? I think I need to improve on everything at, at the moment. Um, yeah, well, I would love to win this tour one day. I guess that's one of my goals, but there's a lot of things I want to do, but I'm just trying to take it one day at a time and not overthink it and just go with the flow a bit. And uh, it was amazing also seeing Kristen Faulkner with you up there, especially for Team Bike Exchange, probably the results haven't gone your way a lot this season. So was it nice to kind of have both of you up there near the finish? Yeah, for sure. She's, she's incredibly strong. I think she's actually a lot stronger than me, but... She's coming to the sport a bit later, so she's still learning. And I think together we can uh, be a really good team and learn from each other. And uh, I think this is our first time actually at a race together this year. So 
Um, I'm looking forward to doing more races with her and uh, now the team knows us a bit better, like we can uh, definitely have more things up our sleeve. And building that connection as a duo, is that kind of a, a difficult thing? Because I think with bike teams, they're not. it's not like a football team where you're around each other all the time. It's kind of harder to, to uh, learn about each other's, each other's strengths and what each other is like on the bike. Yeah, for sure. Um, it is difficult for, for us because we had never raced together until this tour, but... Um, I think even just from doing this uh, one tour together, we've learned so much more about each other and we'll be able to, um, I feel like I understand her a lot more and how her thought processes are and she's learned mine and I think uh, we'll work really well together in the future. The cycling podcast Femina is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Well, thank you once again to the long-term sponsors Science in Sport for their ongoing support of the Cycling Podcast Feminine and the all of the podcasts of the Cycling Podcast family. There is, of course, 25% off all your nutritional needs on scienceinsport.com. You go there and you put in the code, who shall I test, Orla? SISCP25. SISCP25. You won't forget that. Now... Uh, it was a very a special, kind of a difficult uh, moment uh, for me on the last stage of the women's tour. Um, I know the women's tour is special for all three of us. Uh, we've all done the, the podcast at the women's tour. And uh, particularly for you and me, Orla, uh, we did a couple of women's tours uh, with Richard Moore. I guess I could say that I was honoured to be given the chance to present a prize that had been created in his honour by the Women's Tour uh, on stage in Oxford, and that is the Richard Moore Award. And I just want to read out what they said on the stage and what they posted uh, on social media as well to give people a sense of, of the award. Richard Moore was one of the most loved, respected and pioneering journalists to ever cover the sport of cycling. His brainchild, The Cycling Podcast, transformed how people worldwide engage and interact with the sport. Together with colleagues Rose Manley and Orla Shalomui, Richard was a regular at the Women's Tour, as this race was the first outside of the three men's grand tours to be afforded daily episodes. These enhanced the profile and stature of the race, something that we're forever grateful for. Sadly, Richard passed away suddenly in March, aged just 48, devastating everybody who knew and loved him. The Women's Tour wanted to honour his memory by acknowledging the rider in this year's race who has gone above and beyond in their efforts to engage with the world's media. And that was uh, that was written by the Women's Tour and, and we're very grateful to them for for um, for thinking of that and, and commemorating uh, Richard's memory uh, in this way. And the winner of that prize was, was Clara Capone who won on... Um, on stage one and uh, I caught up with her very briefly um, to chat about receiving the award at the finish. Well Clara, thank you very much for accepting the Richard Moore Award for going above and beyond with the media. How important is it to you to talk to the journalists to try and get the word of women cycling out there? Uh, It's very important because we have uh, an image for the sponsor, for the team, for the people who work with us so yeah it's very important to, to have a good, uh, good image so yeah I like to speak with people even in English I 
I wrote my English science romance tour last year because I was like, okay, I speak English like that. No, no, it's not possible. I, I don't know if I'm, be, I'm better now, but I hope. <laughs> I definitely think you are. And uh, well, it's a bit of a mixed week for you. I, I mean, uh, a win at the start and then obviously Grace losing the jersey today. Yeah, yeah, for me it was a good uh, start of the week with my first win. Uh, I win in confidence, but yeah, today I'm very sad for Grace and for the team, but we do our best and I hope uh, the season will be better after. I think we, we were strong today and uh, all the week, so for the team it's good, but yeah, I'm sad <laughs> actually. Now that was Clara Caponi, the uh, recipient of the inaugural uh, Richard Moore Award, and I thought we could take this time just to reflect on on our memories of of the doing the tour uh, with Richard uh, as podcasters, Orla and and Lizzie. I think that was the first time you met Richard, wasn't it? Was at when you were racing um, at the women's tour. Um, I mean, my my ongoing and everlasting memory is Richard's terrible taste in music, to be honest. Um, and having to do these long transfers, you know, with the women's story, it's always a transfer between kind of Suffolk and Wales in one day and having to listen to uh, Elliot Smith playing on repeat. Um, or oh, they had a better sense of podcasts, actually. And I remember there was one uh, one time when for hours he just sang, um, Oh, yes, sir, I can boogie. I just need <laughs> a certain song. So, yeah, that for me is... Uh, is one of those kind of memories that always sticks in my mind about Richard at, at the women's tour. Lizzie, I think you met him met him first there, didn't you? It was funny. The, the first meeting I actually had with Richard was on, on the final stage when it was you all that actually presented me the Peddler de Charme t-shirt and, and Richard was the the Scottish guy lurking in the background asking me <laughs> what size t-shirt I wanted. Um, and and then he was there again at the, the end of that stage Um uh, interviewing us and I I didn't know who he was then and I was just so keen and eager to speak to people always happy to speak to people after the race and I love talking um and then after that he then got into contact with me about the the Giro audio diary and it was just you know nearly a chance meeting if I hadn't been standing on that hillside in the soaking rain on Burton Dassett on stage four and then talking to you all are there then perhaps you know I wouldn't have ever got that t-shirt on stage six and I wouldn't have then done the interview afterwards and then had all of these opportunities that have been afforded me and the friendship with both Richard and everybody in the cycling podcast that has given me so it's um yeah a, a, a funny chance interaction with a t-shirt led to to so much more and yeah more than I could have ever imagined. That was his genius. It was his beauty, creating those connections and links and spotting in people something that was common, I think, to all people that he brought together. And I've, I think I've said this before, I don't know now, um, but he had such a talent for bringing together people that you knew if Richard introduced you to somebody, you'd love them. You knew they would be interesting. You knew that they would be fun. You knew they would look at life slightly differently and... and that was an incredible talent um, that I didn't fully appreciate when he was with us. Um, but as you're saying about different memories and and about music and whatnot, he was such an intelligent, curious soul. 
and I actually remember the podcast more than anything else and, and listening to an awful lot of Lou Theroux driving through Wales, I think it was. And, and I it was just so entertaining, you know, just spending time in his company was just always... It was always just so comforting and wonderful. And, and I always felt like my soul was lifted slightly. I always felt like I was learning something, whether it be about bike racing or, you know, rediscovering every time a love of, of cycling. Um, but it, with regards to this award in particular, um, I think it's I think it's so important. It is so important for anyone who marks these things, whether you do or not that um, Richard's impact on women's cycling in particular is noted and remembered because he wasn't like any of the others. He wasn't like any of us, truly. Um, and we're in a really fortunate position these days of having several podcasts on women's cycling. We now have live coverage, of course, of lots of races, including the women's tour. Um, Richard single-handedly drove so much of that and I cannot understate that I cannot because um, he downplayed it an awful lot but he was as I've said before the force behind the second podcast Femina it was his idea to go to the women's tour and do, to do daily um, episodes now at that time there were highlight episodes of each of the stages on ITV in the evening but he wanted us to be the first so our daily episodes were the first way that you could consume the racing on the women's tour when we started to do it before you watched the television. And there was such a beauty to that. And there was such fun to that because we couldn't watch any of it. We were following crappy Twitter feeds and we were piecing everything together by speaking to riders at the finish line. And what we loved about it is that no one could contradict us until the highlights <laughs> had been on. <laughs> so we could make it up and have a bloody good time doing it. Um, but I really, I really strongly feel, and I felt it at the t at the time. Um, but he was a pioneer. He was a pioneer of women's cycling broadcasting, and I hope that's never mm. forgotten. And and it's funny when you say, um, Lizzie, about the first time that you met him. I remember so clearly him, and when he asked about what size of t-shirt you took, he was so uncomfortable with all of that. And he, he was aware that he stood out, this big, mm. tall, a, imposing Scottish man. It's a piece of audio with him just bumbling in the background. Of, do, do you want an extra small or a medium? <laughs> but for someone who came across as so confident, you know, and it's why he had the nickname The Buffalo, because he charged ahead. There was mm. such a sensitivity to him that, that for me, that was the version of Richard that I knew best um, and he was always so conscious of what his role should be in women's cycling mm. and so he wouldn't really let me I guess tell him that he was a pioneer but he's not here anymore to contradict me so sorry Richard you are you were and you always will be and sorry this is annoying it's really wonderful that the Women's Tour have recognised that because the Women's Tour was a really special race for him. And, and I really want to thank Mick Bennett and Nick Bull and the whole team for recognising the importance of that and seeing that it matters. It matters to all of us. It matters, to, hopefully, to all of our listeners. It matters an awful lot to Virginie, I know, his um, darling wife, um, to Maxime when he can understand it a little bit better. Um, but it's a wonderful thing. And I'm, and I'm really grateful as well that Clara seemed to understand the importance of it as well. Um, so we're very, we're just very grateful to have had him, I guess. And I think it's just one of those, you know, he, he's he's got a legacy that that really can't be captured in in words or in awards. But you know, just to have his name 
uh, continue on and uh, for people to hear his name and understand um, a little bit about him, people who might not have come across him uh, in life, I think is is a beautiful thing. So I thought uh, that we would finish this episode. I, I want to say thank you, Lizzie. Thank you, Orla, for your company uh, for this episode. But I want everyone now who's listening, put down whatever you're doing, abandon that cup of tea that you're halfway through making and just enjoy once again. We're going to hear some of the best bits from Richard Moore at the women's tour. And I just want everyone to, um, yeah, enjoy the, you know, obviously we know Richard was a great journalist, but, you know, he was a wonderful friend and warm-hearted and full of joy and humour, even if he was trying to downplay it when he was hanging out with us all, maybe. <laughs> but I just want to... Um, knew we made him cool. <laughs> but I just wanted everyone to um, take... Um, a moment and and appreciate what Richard um, Richard did and well continues to do through his legacy and you know I think it's fitting that for once we'll give him the last word because we we never would let him do that in life <laughs> so uh, here's to you Richard and thank you. My name is Richard Moore and I'm with Rose Manley, yeah. who you just heard, and Orla Shinoui. Hello. And this is the first of our nightly daily podcast from the Women's Tour. I'd like to introduce uh, tonight's feature. Uh, now this is, uh, well, how do I introduce this one? Well, Maybe um, I get one of you to introduce this. I was going to say, science and sport, you know, what you put in your body must come out of your body at some point. Nice one, Rose. That and was good. Let's hear it now. Tim, you're in the, the you're driving the chief commissar. You're yeah. right behind the race. You've got the the best view of the race, but you've spotted a new phenomenon, a new a new a new thing that's happening in women's racing. Yes, uh, now that the stages are um, a bit longer than they used to be, I think uh, there is quite a lot of how should we say it um, natural breaks. That's the polite way of putting it. Yeah, there are practical issues with that, obviously. With uh, women, do you think it is just the the longer distances that's led to that? I don't know if it's uh, longer distances or they drink in a lot or whatever but it's a lot more complicated if you're a woman than if you're a man So that was our water feature um, a twist on the water feature from last year's Tour de France it, and a fascinating subject I hope we haven't put people off I, do, I hope we don't have a well, lot of Daniel, Daniel Freeves out there yeah, <laughs> people are still listening Lizzie, hello, hello. Um, do you have a quick second? Yeah, is that okay? Yeah. Um, just very briefly, um, you've won a poll on our Twitter feed Aww. for Peddlers de Charm. Oh. You and Corinne Rivera have been voted most charming peddlers <gasps> of the women's tour. Win. So, you want a t-shirt? Yeah. Oh, which, wow. Which, uh, do you think extra small or medium? Um, Extra small or medium? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> so is it for my cat or my husband? <laughs> yeah. I think extra small. Yeah. Oh. Okay. So it's basically because everybody loved your attitude, your positivity you and the way you've, ride, you've been riding. Oh, so congratulations. Really Thanks everybody. There we are. Off the race, I have to say, it's something that Rafa Race Radio unfortunately did 
did not capture. But our collective car karaoke last night on the drive to <laughs> Wales was was something that will live long in my memory and in my eardrums. We had renditions of well, Bohemian Rhapsody was one of my favourite. Richards, thunderous, out of time, clapping from the back oh. seat was it was an experience to behold. I didn't I didn't know it was possible to enjoy music in such you a fashion. You didn't know I was such a good clapper. <laughs> I didn't know it was. I didn't know it was possible to be bad at clapping. <laughs> I mean, true. who would have thought it? It was shocking. I've it's seen, I've, bad seen you, I've seen you moonwalk. <laughs> if anything, it's a talent the, to be bad at in it in the loosest possible term before. But I've never seen that clapping um, and roses. Headbanging. Oh yes, was truly. I did actually a video. I videoed, I videoed some of this. <laughs> I videoed. I videoed some of this. I might make this available to Rafa Race Radio. I didn't this know footage. you were videoing at the time. No, um, but that yes, was that was my true. highlight. Very, that was a that fun was... journey last night. I really it enjoyed was. it. It was. Good. Well, we've got four and a half hours of fun coming up all the way back to London. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait. It's, it's pretty wild, isn't it, Orla? Just a bit. I'm on, I'm laughing because you are absolutely soaking wet, and I'm sure that's exactly how I'm looking as well. It's pretty miserable up here, although at least the riders have a fair tailwind behind them. Well, Marta Bassinelli was ahead, we heard, uh, at the foot of the climb. I think this is her coming. Uh, yes, it will be, yeah. Uh, Ali Cipollini rider, sprinter. She's had a really good season so far, but you would not expect her to be staying ahead. Actually, Oh, actually, I mean, the peloton is right behind her. Right behind They're going to catch her by the end, yeah. Yeah, there are two riders chasing her. Who are they, Orla? Well, it's Hannah Barnes is there. Yeah, it's Hannah Barnes. Uh, and then Elisa Longo-Borghini was fourth across the line there. And it's a big group. I would say about 40-odd riders there. It's a big old group, 40, 50 riders. They're all getting their feed as well. Um, all the big names seem to be up there as well. Yeah, I mean, there, there had been an earlier break of four riders. That was obviously caught. Marta then went ahead again. I mean, it looks like she's been reeled back in again. So that's the last Queen of the Mountains. So let's see what they do from here. We kind of expected and hoped it to be a bit more broken up than yeah. that, I think. It was a tailwind up here and I was expecting some really fast racing and maybe more splits. No, it seemed pretty controlled and all the big contenders were all in one, one big group. It didn't seem... I mean, people had dropped off the back, certainly, but no one... No surprises. We're we still doing Radiohead. <laughs> That's true. Well, we're not high and dry, are we? Oh, we're, we're, we're high, but wet. we're soaking wet. Let's go to the finish. Well, we open tonight's final episode from the Oval Energy Women's Tour with a little clip of us standing, like looking like drowned rats yes. on top of the mountain. It was uh, wild up there, wasn't it? Well, hello, Richard. I just realised you haven't said hello. Hello, Rose. <laughs> hello, Orla. Reversing into it there. Hello, Sometimes yes. we do that, mix it up, you know. Yeah. They know yeah, us by now. Crazy. But right now, it feels like a, like a lifetime away being on that incredibly wet, misty, windy. It was very beautiful, but it was pretty nasty being up there. And it's beautiful and sunny here, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it feels like I've come to a different country, a well, different we're, we're at the finish in Colwyn Bay, uh, thinking of Chiro Scogno Emilio here, mm. because we're sitting on the beach drinking Snowden Craft Lager. Yes, are Rose? we doing a chin... Well, Cheers. plastic, so you can't... Cheers. Cheers. I'm, I'm, I'm ha- got, I've got my mountain Cheers. filtered HTO, which is rather... Anyway, different. the race is finished. Corn Rivera was the overall winner, as we kind of expected, although we perhaps expected more 
So we should wrap things up and get on the get on the motorway. Yeah, you, Richard, yeah. I think you're going to drive. I would just say, do not go gentle into that good night. We have to make good time on the way back to London. We we'll have to rage, rage against the dying of the light. Early starts in the morning. All Very around. nice, literal. Take no road, no road rage. Don't worry. Richard is actually pretty much halfway gone, halfway to the sky. We're all sitting on the grass in a kind of picnic scenario, and Richard has just been slowly doing this last little section. He's on one knee at the moment. Like he's going to propose I'll, to both of us. No, I'll tell you why that is. It's because I've got headphones on and I can hear the wind coming through the microphones and I'm, I think it's my microphone I'm trying to, oh, you're trying to adjust oh. my body so that <laughs> the wind is not annoying the listeners. I'm always, I'm always thinking of the listeners. Always. The acrobatics have been very very distracting for the last couple of minutes, I have to say. Just pretend yes. I'm doing my Chloe Hosking routine yes. before the stage. Have you noticed that? No, I haven't. What is she yeah. doing? It's like... Um, it's like what do they what do you call that? Like that elasticy stuff, you know, that you you stretch you put between your around your ankles and you move your legs out. Elastic. You can tell I don't spend much time in the gym. So I don't know so what it's it, Yeah, it's sort of like the stretching band. The stretching band, yeah. And she but does that every morning leaning against the camera. Yeah, band. but there are very specific looking exercises mm. and a, a routine that she has. So you've done like the non-sporty version of that, the non-athletic looking version. Oh, well, thanks very much. <laughs> yeah. Like Who's a, sort of moved limbs around? Like, like a hi- hippo on a skateboard. <laughs> Thank you very much, Orla. Thank you. Thank you, Rose. Thanks, guys. The Cycling Podcast was created in 2013 by Richard Moore, Daniel Freeb, and Lionel Burney.